Hey, Fire fans, Nick here with Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. Now, tell me if you've heard this one before. The Chicago Fire have a disappointing draw at home to a bad team after blowing a lead in the late game off a set piece. Yeah, sound familiar? Well, we're going to break down all the goals and really start questioning the coaching staff after this 1-1 draw at home to the Red Bulls. I'll even read you some of Ezra's post-game quotes. Let's just say at least we're not talking about eggs and potatoes anymore. Stay tuned. Welcome back once again, Fire fans and MLS fans to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Let's get right into it. I don't want to beat around the bush and put off talking about this dreadful performance any further. So this weekend, the 10th place Chicago Fire hosted the 13th place Red Bulls. And after that 1-1 draw, Chicago has fallen to 11th place in the East and the Red Bulls are now 15th last place in the Eastern Conference. That's right. The Red Bulls are now the worst team in the East. We're down three starters, and the Fire draw them at home. Yeah. Now, had the Fire not dropped any points from leading positions this season, they'd actually have eight more points and be third place in the Eastern Conference. They'd be sitting on, I think, 19 points, and now they're only on 11 just over a point per game or so not a good look for a team who is literally in the exact same position as they were last season they have done nothing to improve i've talked about it in shows past the record is exactly the same i believe even after this latest loss they have done nothing to improve as a team so as you know we're going to break down the goals look at a player performance get into the stats as well as hear from our featured guest john donovan and then look at some of the things around the league at the end of the show so let's take a look at the goals here we've got the 34th minute goal from who else but kai kamara the 38 year old striker who continues to climb up the mls record scoring chart but really kai kamara and his story and his skill and and what he's brought to the fire put all that aside for a second The play to set this goal up is exactly what the Chicago Fire organization envisioned when they signed Kamara and right back Arnaud Suquette. There was some great passing on the right side about midfield between Suquette and Marin Haile Selassie to spring Suquette on the right wing. And he even gives a little juke to the defender to get get free for him. He gets into the corner, receives the pass from Haile Selassie, puts a beautiful cross in towards the near post and Kamara gets his head on it, turns it in as the announcers have said, as social media has said, this is what Kai does. This is what he's been doing. Starts at the far post, darts towards the near post, gets in front of the defender and heads it home near post. Again, this is how you draw it up. If you have kids who play soccer or if you're coaching youth, find this clip, play it to them, show them this is how it's supposed to look. Then in the 89th minute, that's right, 89th minute, Corey Burke, none other than fire killer Corey Burke, scores on a header off of a corner kick. Now, John Donovan is going to touch on on this particular play in his segment later, so stay tuned for that. But here's a quote from Ezra Hendrickson about this. Quote, 
I saw another corner kick that we couldn't defend exactly like last weekend, end quote. So what are you doing in training? What are you doing in film sessions? What are you doing when you have a defensive practice to get, like, what is the coaching staff doing to, number one, allow it to happen last week? That's that's lesser story now, but you positively identify it as a weakness in your game last week, and it happens exactly the same in your own eyes. Terrible, terrible coaching from identi- from working it into practice. You can see I'm getting worked up just thinking about it. And we're only five minutes into the show. You identified it. You did nothing to address it during the week, or if you did, you clearly didn't do it effectively for your team. They were completely out of position again. I think Herbers missed his man, Corey Burke, on that one. And by the way, guys, it's Corey Burke. Like, every fan in Chicago knows who this guy is because he has now scored 10 goals against the Chicago Fire. That is the third most any single player has scored against a single team. You have Vela, who scored 12 against the Galaxy. You've had... Uh, Rui Diaz, who scored 11 against the Timbers, and now you have Corey Burke, who's dropped 10 against the Fire across two teams from Philly and now New York Red Bulls. What are we doing, folks? What are we doing? I also wanted to touch on Chris Mueller in this episode. You know, we've looked at a few other players in the past. We looked at Jimenez in prior episodes. We've looked at, you know, Shakiri and Gutierrez. But I want to look at Chris Mueller here because I've been a fan and somewhat of a defender of Chris Mueller since he was signed uh, last season. I think he was great for the fire last season. He was off to a pretty hot start this year. But it's clear now, and this game is, is I think, the the red flag that that he has fallen off now. Uh, he's, he's best on the wing. We know that he plays on the wing. Thank goodness. They didn't try to screw that up for him. He likes taking defenders one-on-one. I like seeing him take defenders one-on-one. I think he's an excellent one-on-one offensive player and has a pretty good cross into the box. He can usually pick out Kai or Kutsius or who, or whoever's making that far post run. If that's where the play's at, he can usually do that fairly, fairly well and fairly consistency. Um, he can improve on some of his crossing a little bit, but where I think, found Mueller has fallen off lately is he is not getting into those wing and channel positions, those deep corners as he used to be. And we see that from the fires numbers. They're not winning as many corner kicks. They're not getting called for as many offsides. Um, and and they, they're not having possession in the opposing third. So they're not getting Mueller into the areas he's most dangerous, but at the same time, then Mueller is trying to take on defenders two and three at a time. And that is not his game. Really? That's not anyone's game. You should not be having to take on two or three defenders unless you're Leo Messi. Now, Mueller can't be doing that. He needs to work on his passing then, or he needs to work on getting into better spaces, having a better first touch to get him around that first defender. He's getting dispossessed, and then he's working extra hard to get back, and then he's getting tired. And we see when Mueller is tired, he gets frustrated. His antics, his arm movements, his slapping of, of the legs, it's much more noticeable the last half hour of the game than it is the first 60 minutes of the game. That does not signal a good vibe to your teammates. The other thing about him getting frustrated like that, when you do get frustrated and you're saying, why didn't you get me the ball? I'm open on the wing. Or why didn't you play it around? When you do get a shot, you got to put it on frame, Chris. You cannot take your one or two opportunities that you're going to get each game to rip a shot and then sky it over the bar or put it wide 
or just or, or have it shot into three defenders, right? You cannot be frustrated with your teammates for not getting you the ball and then do nothing with the ball when you do get it. He needs to create some more quality chances. That's that's a criticism of the entire fire team. I think Mueller is best as that third option in the box. You've got your striker, Kai or Kutsius. You've got maybe Gutierrez or Shaq running into the box. Shaq running, kind of a funny notion. But, you know, you're attacking midfielders kind of as that second wave. And then Mueller being the third option there. He can either be on the far post for the tap in, the shot, or or, you know, make that run up to the top of the box uh, and then shoot one in from 20 yards out, right? I think that's where he's best on the offense if you're going to bring it up the opposite side. If you're going to bring it up his side, you got to knock that ball in the channel and let him use his speed to and his footwork to get past that first defender and then play a ball into the middle. Fire are not doing that, and in the moments where it looks like they might, Mueller is not executing. Let me make sure that I have covered all of everything I wanted to say about Chris Mueller. And I think I have. Um, but the one thing I think maybe, maybe it's time for Mueller just to, just to sit a match, get some rest or, or start coming off the bench for a couple matches, because considering he was playing for Orlando, then went right to Scotland, played it for Hibernian um, and then came right back into the Chicago fire in the MLS season. I don't think he's had much of a break you know, other than the playoffs when the fire aren't making it. So maybe he just, his legs, his tired legs are catching up to him and it's time for him uh, to get a couple games rest. Next thing we need to talk about, and probably the biggest issue in this game, and one of the recurring themes with the Chicago fire is Ezra Hendrickson's substitution patterns. Let's look at the subs in this game. In the 33rd minute, we have Mauricio Pineda coming in for Carlos Duran due to Duran picking up an injury. You should hear more from the fire this week, probably by Wednesday, but Tehran says he felt something in the back of his knee. It sounds like it's something they had been monitoring, so get him off. Let's make sure that he uh, he's good, that it's not going to get worse during the course of the game. He's not going to do anything else, or he's not going to be a defensive liability because he did not look good today. He looked like a guy who just got a contract extension, and we'll touch on that later. So, okay, fine. He picks up a knock. you got to bring Pineda in. The problem is they don't have any center backs. They did not list Olmsberg and Burks on the roster. They had no other center backs, so they had to put in Mauricio Pineda, who is best as a defensive midfielder. Like he, I guess his strength is his passing, so why are you putting, putting him in as the deep-lying center back? Anyway, additionally, why don't you have a third center back on the roster? Well, that's because you played Olmsberg and Burks a full 90 minutes against Chicago House, Wednesday night against the U.S. Open Cup amateur team where they should have handled that game regardless of who was playing center back, right? So complete mismanagement of your center backs, which need to be a strengthened team that cannot generate offense. Terrible player management. Now looking at the actual subs in the 57th and 61st minutes, Red Bulls bring in Corey Burke and Wickelman Carmona couple attacking moves, what we would expect when you're down a goal on the road in the 60th minute or so. And again, Burke is the fire killer. Good on Ezra, though, that in the 62nd minute, he makes his subs. Herbers and Aceves come in for Federico Navarro and Mueller. At least it looks like he's trying to react to the Red Bulls. They bring in their offensive subs. He brings in his defensive subs. The problem with this is, he goes way too defensive. 
we now have uh because you're going to look at the next group of subs because herbers and navarro for navarro isn't the craziest move like herbers should be coming off the bench i think on, on a competitive mls team and it's kind of a like for like sub a seves for mueller you see now mueller an attacking player coming off a seves is traditionally an outside back so yes he can push forward and get in the attack but it's more of a supporting role and it's not his primary role as as a defender right so you see ezra starting to shift defensively here right now he's going to tell you well i i didn't have wing players we're going to address that quote so don't you worry we're going to get to that but here's the problem if you look at the possession numbers from this substitution on red bull dominated the game they controlled every five minute segment of possession according to mlssoccer.com except for one and i tweeted it out so find me at glasshouse soccer on twitter and you'll see that breakdown the fire lost all possession after these substitutions. They clearly went defensive. And then if you were questioning that, it's confirmed in the 73rd minute where Jonathan Dean comes in uh, and Zerdan Shakiri comes in for Marin Haile Selassie and for Brian Gutierrez. And the wheels fall off of this game at this point. Again, I already don't understand how your game plan is to go defensive when you have no center back subs while you're only up one goal and you're at home and then you bring in Shakiri and make it a defensive formation, right? Ezra had already lost the game at this point. This was the cherry on top. The only way I see this making sense, and I am really trying to stretch it here for Ezra's sake, because, you know, lawyer and me, let me see both sides of the, the issue here, is if he brings everyone defensive and then lets Shaq, look to play a long ball, quick counterattack up front to the striker, and maybe they kill off time or they steal a second goal and secure the win that way. It's the only reason I think this works. But then the problem is, why did you not sub out Kai Kamara? The guy was gassed at about this time. Now he's gonna now Ezra's gonna say we didn't have enough subs, but then again, you're mismanaging it. You're inflexible in your substitutions and your management. All right, let's look at some of Ezra's post-game quotes, and we're going to talk about what he said about his substitution patterns here. Here's a couple quotes from Ezra Hendrickson. The second half is not the kind of game we like to play. We'd like more possession. Okay, so why did you completely change your tactics to go defensively? That's on you. Also, he spoke more about mentality. We we players do, Players don't like losing. Players typically have a strong mentality. You don't become a professional at sports without having a tough mentality. Not just in an MLS, but across all sports. Players are typically pretty tough mentally until the culture of doubt creeps in, until the culture of losing creeps in, until you realize your coach is making terrible moves and it doesn't matter how hard you play, you're going to get screwed by it. So if anything's hurting the mentality of this team, it's the example and the actions of the coaching staff, Ezra Hendrickson, chief among them. Now, also, let's talk about the subbing, right? Ezra Hendrickson said he wanted to get Jairo Torres about 20 minutes off the bench, but then when Tehran had to be subbed out for the injury, he lost the first sub and couldn't get Torres in. To me, he's he just continually indicts himself in his own press conferences, in his own statements. Yeah, maybe I'm looking at it from the pessimistic standpoint, and maybe I'm trying to, to, to take his quotes and twist it against him. But you know what? 
if that is the case, I'm trying to be objective here. I'm trying to look at what happened in the game and what you're saying and reconcile it, and you can't. But even if I was trying to attack Ezra with his own quotes, again, sorry, I'm a lawyer. It's kind of what I do. Um, it doesn't take much to do it, guys. It doesn't take much. So you got free subs at halftime, right? So you, you can use the halftime window. It doesn't count against one of your three, uh, three substitution windows. You got five players. You could have brought in Torres. Again, I'm thinking outside the box here, but I know it's not traditional. You could have brought Torres in at halftime and then subbed him out at the 65th minute if you wanted to and still had uh, Shakiri and Dean coming in could have, and, and taken Mueller out, right? You could have done those things or taken Salase out. You could use another halftime sub and bring up Mueller for Torres, right? These are, if you're going to react to what's going on, you need to start thinking a little bit outside of the box. But Ezra is so stuck in his patterns and his pre-game notes, his pre-game plans, whatever you want to call it, that he cannot adapt to what's going on on the pitch. And he's getting outcoached week in and week out. He has no in-game flexibility. Now, maybe I'm reading a little bit into this next quote too much, but let's think about what you, uh, let's, Let's talk about what you, the listener, would think about when you hear Carlos Tehran say this. I think it's more about little details and lack of concentration that are costing his games. Details, concentration. Yep, that's all on the coaching staff. Yes, players are going to have lapses as they get tired, but it's up to the coaches to keep them focused and to train them in a way where those lapses are minimized. You don't, I was never, ever coached and never ever practiced just for 90 minutes or whatever the game time was when I was when I was playing club soccer. You always practice more so you could go more, right? You always practice two hours for that hour and a half game so you're ready for it, so you're locked in, so you're focused. I don't know what's going on in training. I don't know what Ezra's telling his team in the locker room. It sounds like he is trying to be a motivational good vibes guy and not actually do anything tactically or anything practically that is helping the team. All right, that's my rant. That's what I'm going to say about Ezra and the coaching, at least for now. This is the perfect time. We're going to take our sponsor break, brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. We're going to bring in our special podcast-exclusive guest, John Donovan. So on YouTube, we're going to pause. And on the podcast, John, I'm going to let you take it away. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the Chicago Fire and the MLS we had a game here Saturday to an empty house. It's very sad to see these, these sold-out houses all over the country. And then we look at one of the original teams, the Chicago Fire. I, I don't think there was 5,000 people in that stadium. They might have given away a lot of tickets. I would be really angry if I was a season ticket holder and was looking at everybody sitting there that got free seats. But again, the Fire blew a lead in the last minutes of the game. This is consistency. Ezra just can't make substitutions. Um, the starting lineup, we only had two replacements from last week's starting lineup. Federico Navarro, who played, he and Jimenez played a very good game, I thought. They really boxed up the middle. And Miguel Navarro played his uh, left wing spot. I'm just not sold on him. He's He's just lost too many games for for the fire with his reckless play. But they they all the team played well the first half. It was a very even game with um, the Red Bulls coming in short three offensive guys. So they needed to get good midfield and defensive play, and they did. I thought they had 
Early on in the game, they had two wide open shots, one that hit the crossbar and um, one that uh, miraculously uh, Brady stopped. It was a beautiful save. But uh, the fire, you know, literally were playing even Steven with the Red Bulls. And then suddenly the Red Bulls have this very dynamic guy with like white hair. His name is Tolkien, who who I've heard about before. But since their offense is down, Tolkien was taking a lot of risks with his his play. And Suket took advantage of him a couple of times. The final time or final time in the first half, he played it was almost a mirror of what he had played in a previous game. He played it around Tolkien, and it was a beautiful cross to a cutting across Kamara, the striker. I mean, Kamara, when you say that word, that is Kamara. He put a beautiful backhead ball into the far corner. Defense didn't have a chance at it. It was uh, Tolkien made this move. Suket was smart enough, and Suket is playing a nice game of, of soccer right now. You know, you have to, um, I'm awful happy about the fire signing Tehran to a long-term contract. He's the fire's uh, material player until 2027. The way he plays, you can't believe he's going to be in the fire team that long. The guy is big, tall, mean. If I, I played up against guys like that, and I don't know what I would have done if, if Tehran was there. He is everything. But this game... In the first half, they had to substitute him out, and they put in Pineda, which kind of puzzles me why uh, Ezra's not using Olmsberg. If you remember last year, Olmsberg uh, got the start because Tehran was hurt, and Tehran had to wait until Olmsberg got hurt to get his playing time. So why he's using Pineda when Pineda really is a midfielder, I don't know. Um, Pineda did get a yellow card, and... Sijos got a yellow card. So we had a game with the both middle um, center fullbacks playing on yellow cards. And, uh, you know, the game, the refereeing was as, as bad as the referees have been against the fire over this last couple of, say, two seasons. They made up for it tonight. There was a couple of plays that probably should have gone the Red Bulls way, uh, specifically a uh, a foul in the area by Sijos and uh the fire got away with it after a check on VAR. I still am shaking my head a little bit about it, but they deserve it. They have been, um, there's been a lot of plays against the fire over the years. And, and so they, they did take advantage of it. So the second half, about the seven or 65th minute, Ezra decides to make his substitutions at every time he has made these substitutions. Number one, they confuse me. And number two, it sucks the life out of the squad. He's substituting. I mean, the, the one that really puzzles me is Gutierrez. Gutierrez is young. He's 20 years old. And to pull him out and put Shakiri on, who still is, quote, hurt, but it's the Fire's team. I mean, Shakiri the Fire is Shakiri's team. It's all kinds of illogical statements by Ezra that he could only go 40, but the, he is not doing well for the Fire. Um, from that point on, the Red Bulls started putting the heat on the fire. And towards the end of the game, there was a corner kick. Now, Herbers, who I liked the way he plays, was very busy lining everybody up on the corner kicks. And um, But the problem is he forgot his own man, and it was Corey Burke. Corey Burke has scored five, nine goals against the fire teams, and he had a wide-open header 
that Brady had no chance at. It was kind of sad. It was with seconds to go in the game, and it was a tied-up game, and, and you just could feel that the fire team had done it again. You know, I uh, how many times have we lost in the last minutes of the games because of really kind of puzzling substitutions by Ezra? You know, I, I looked over at Ezra at the end of the game, and all you could see was Frankie Klopa sitting there, and the the announcers were saying what a wonderful group of coaches they had. Frankie Klopas has been part of this team for 13 years, and for 13 years they've been terrible. I mean, literally, all you had to do was see the amount of people in the stadium to realize that uh, the fire have not lived up to their expectations. I don't know what Joe Mansueto will do if the team continues playing like it is. Uh, personally, I think he should make the... Uh, the change in midseason. Um, why wait? You still have an opportunity. You've got young talent on the bench. If it's used properly, you might be able to do something in the playoffs. You do have the talent. It's just how Ezra uses them and what kind of strategy he goes into in the second half. So I don't know. Um, the fire go down to St. Louis this coming week or this coming weekend, which I wish I had a ticket to that game. I, uh, You've got to really be be happy for St. Louis. There's hardly a seat open in that stadium. I don't know what's going to happen to Tehran. We'd love to have him playing this coming game, but I hope that Ezra remembers how good Olmsberg was with Sijos on the field, and he puts him out there rather than Pineda. Pineda is a wonderful substitute, but I believe that Olmsberg's got starting talent, and um, and he's a tough guy. He really is. He's... He, you don't let off too much with, from Tehran to Olmsburg. So we'll have to see. Um, Mike, I hope you're doing well. Nick, thanks a lot for this opportunity. Um, we'll have to see what's happening next week. Thank you very much. John, thank you so much again for your thoughts, for sending me your clip, for everything that you discussed. I, I think we're in agreement in just about everything here. Um, to touch on the attendance, uh, yeah, it looked real bad, and I think people were trickling in throughout the first half. I think they announced it just over 11,000, but yeah, I agree with you. They probably gave away a lot of tickets. And also, thank you for bringing up why Frank Klopas is still on the bench after literally over a decade of losing with the fire. Seriously, if anyone who's listening knows why Frank Klopas is still on the bench, Please message me. I'm serious. I need to understand this. I am always the first guy to support my fellow Greeks. But at this point, I just can't see the logic. And I'll remind everyone, John's segment is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. That's that water filtering through all that volcanic rock, right? This isn't your average water, clearly. Pun intended, it's one of the best, and it's available at your local 7-Eleven. Now we're going to take a look at the stats, touch on a few things from around the league, and we will let you get on with your week, because really that's all we want to do as Fire fans after that performance is just get on with our week. Looking at the statistics here, Fire had 48% possession. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know how you do so well in your first half. And I say so well relative to the second half, how you have an okay first half completely change everything up and then seed possession to the Red Bulls. Eight shots, four on goal, 
400 total passes. 400 passes. That's a lot of passes. Only 65% accuracy, though. So that suggests that most of the Chicago Fire's passes were in the defensive third with a high completion uh, anticipation, right? You're, you're usually not completing as many passes when the other team is defending, when you're attacking in their own, in their own zone, um, as you would in your own defense when there's not a lot of pressure. Here's the crazy thing. Red Bull had 436 passes at 65% completion rate as well. So Red Bull, a team who presses, a team who wants to turn you over and then spring a counterattack and get a shot off within two passes usually of them turning you over, they had the exact same passing numbers as you. Terrible, terrible game management, terrible game planning. Only one offside for the fire, again, showing how defensive they went. Uh, duels one was about even 68, 65 to the fire tackles one again, about even nine to 11 in favor of Red Bull. Brady had three saves on the night. Again, I like Brady. Brady's playing very, very well. And his defense is letting him down. His coaching staff is letting him down by allowing opposing teams to bring waves of pressure late in game. Uh, 15 fouls apiece. Here's the other thing. Fire losing discipline again, five yellow cards. They are slipping back. Now, say what you want about officiating because it wasn't that great in this game. Uh, I believe it was Chris Pencil who was refereeing, refereeing this one. But still, five yellow cards to Red Bulls, too. Again, a, this game usually produces yellow cards. These two teams usually go at it. But when the Red Bulls only walk away with two yellow cards and you've got five, you're doing something wrong. Looking at expected goals, 0.5. The Fire were only expected to score half a goal. Red Bull was expected to score 1.4 uh, off of their 14 shots, again, to the Fire's 8. So if you're one of those crazy glass-half-full people who are still smiling about the Fire, like, well, we're not losing, uh, and you're going to say they outperformed their expected goals, technically you'd be right. But again, the Fire continued to create poor chances, if any at all. Kai Kamara's goal, the one that actually went in, was only given a 6.74% chance of, of going in the net, of scoring on that one. And that was the highest percentage chance of their eight shots. The fire could not create an opportunity that had a better than 7% chance of going in the net, according to the models on MLSsoccer.com. Again, the offense does not know what they're doing. Okay, so where do the fire go from here? Honestly, unless you dump Ezra and probably send Heights and Klopas with him, nothing's going to change. And the fire just going to continue to have these kind of embarrassing results week in and week out. Speaking of week in and week out, their next match, Saturday, May 6th at Nashville. Who, Nashville, did you see them dismantle Atlanta? MVP Hani Mukhtar with three assists. Can you imagine what they're going to do to the Chicago fire? Don't. It's going to ruin your week. Wait for Saturday. Other news from around the league, and within the fire organization, the big news was Carlos Tehran gets a great new contract. He is under contract through 2026, has an option for 2027, and he's only 22 years old right now. So he will be 26 years old-ish by the time his contract is up. That is still a good age for a center back to be sold on, if not before, or to get another three to four year contract with the Chicago fire. If he ends up having a prolonged MLS career, 
This is the only reason these kind of moves are the reason why I see Mansueto keeping George Heights around. But on the flip side, he's done everything else wrong, like missing on the DP, signing players in the same positions, not uh, not building a good roster, picking terrible coaches. Like, So I don't know if, if these business moves are enough to keep him around when his contract's up, I think at the end of the year. But th- these are, again, if you want to look at both sides of the issue, these are the kind of signings that people like from George Heights, despite everything else we've talked about. Also, as a reminder, Carlos Turan actually got his green card last year. So he's no longer an international roster player. He is a domestic player opening up an international roster spot for the fire. Again, I love Tehran. I'd love to see him stick around with the fire as, as a selfish fire fan. But at the same time, the way the fire have seemed to have been doing business, unless they bring in a new technical director and or sporting director, um, I would imagine that if Tehran has a good year or starts off next year, good as well, uh, that he's going to be sold maybe to a top five team, big, physical, fast, Colombian center back, those might be in high demand for some mid to low table Premier League teams, as well as some teams in the other major leagues across Europe. Other things to keep an eye on as we look across this MLS landscape, Tuesday, May 2nd, LAFC is hosting Philly in the second leg of their CONCACAF Champions League semifinal. Uh, It's 1-1. Philly's got the away goal, so LAFC is going to have their work cut out for them, but that's going to be a great match to keep an eye on tomorrow. Again, we're recording on Monday, May 1st. Uh, And then next week, Chicago Fire's U.S. Open Cup game, May 9th. They are hosting St. Louis City in Bridgeview. It's the first ever matchup between these two teams, and I am pumped. I really am happy that this rivalry between St. Louis and Chicago starts off in U.S. Open Cup play because it's going to be able to be built on in the future due to the geographic scheduling of U.S. Open Cup. I'd love to see this continue. And then the Fire are going to actually play them in MLS play at Soldier Field within a few weeks after that. So it'll be a good way to kind of jumpstart this rivalry two games within a month with big implications. Also, from around the league, I said there are a few notable matches to look at coming in. So it was Nashville-Atlanta was my first one. We talked about that. Mukhtar lights it up. Three assists and a 3-1 victory. Atlanta got some formational things to do, some offensive rhythm things to figure out. New England and Cincinnati, I, I guess what would you expect? The best two teams in the Eastern Conference play to a 1-1 draw. What can, you, what can you say about that? Two teams to keep an eye on and see if they are going to build off of this, be complacent, or maybe fall off a bit, especially Cincinnati if and when Brenner ends up going to uh, Syria uh, um, over in Italy. Maybe not. Yeah, uh, Udinese, I believe. And then Kansas City and Montreal played in the battle of the bad, the battle of the two worst teams in each conference. And Montreal comes out with the victory, relinquishing worst team in MLS status to Kansas City. The one other match that I I wanted to draw to your attention after it happened, Portland wins 2-1 at St. Louis. So you know St. Louis is going to want to really win a few games coming up. You're not good for the fire. But also, they already lost to St. Louis. Portland already lost to St. Louis back in March. And I I bring this example up because you have two Western Conference teams uh, playing each other twice in about a five-week span. I think the MLS should really look at trying to balance the schedule out a little bit where you're not getting this, where um, I think someone told me the Bundesliga over in Germany has the same schedule where it's the first half you play all the teams once, and then the second half of the season you play those same teams all over again in the same order. So it looks a lot more balanced. 
I know there's a lot more to do in the United States with U.S. Open Cup, Leagues Cup, any other, you know, Champions League, all these other tournaments that are there, having a, a terrible hot summer in a lot of places and, and cold weather. But the MLS has to do better. Oh, yeah, and cross-continental travel, right? But I think there's a way for the MLS to do better. Or at the very least, send the fire to go play at some of their warmer climates in February and March. All right, that's everything that I wanted to touch on. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, and above all, enjoy all the matches and soccer content this upcoming week. Thanks.